Yeah, this is Ross Payton with uh, Roleplaying Public Radio, and we're at episode 10. Holy, filling... holy yeah. crap, did we get 10 of these things out? Yep, uh, this is uh, Filling in the Flavor Tags, Writing Games for Your Home Group. Um, it's been uh, two weeks since we've done our last episode, but we're back again. Uh, we also uh, have a couple of things that are coming up pretty shortly. We're going to have a very special uh, video that we'll actually be uh, uploading sometime this month. And uh, just recently, I've done an interview with Sean uh, Jaffe, the one of the writers behind Blood Dim Tides. He also worked on the board game slash action figure game ZG. If you remember that, where you ha- you bought little action figures with cards, and uh, he's working on a couple other projects. So I talked to him. It'll be our first interview. Uh, I'll get that up sometime in the next week or so. Man, we're growing up, man. Yes, we are. We are certainly growing up. Um, we're almost out of adolescence. Yep. Uh, we've all, uh, switched uh, age category, as we would say. There we go. Yes, um, because we're gaming nerds. Um, anyways, for this episode, uh, we're going to be talking about game preparation, running, uh, how you create games for your own home group, uh, that sort of thing. Um, By that we mean more adventures, correct? Yeah. Adventures, campaigns, scenarios, encounters, what have you, whatever term you use. Of course, first, uh, we have been getting a lot of feedback lately. We do appreciate the comments, uh, all the emails, messages. Because uh, It's true, when, when we don't get feedback, we die a little inside. <laughs> well, Tom does, at least. Uh, and uh, you do, Ross, I, Ross needs me. Yes. So you, you, you want to keep me around. Uh, yep, yep. Uh, I don't want to be just talking to myself. Uh, Though you do, you already do. Then you already do. Yeah. yeah. It's... Um. Anyways, so for game design, this is obviously the backbone of any gaming group. Is the poor GM who has to create some sort of adventure that the players will misinterpret, butcher, uh, uh, or just flat out and, ignore, or ignore. Yeah, and and just. You know, for mindless combat and hack and slash adventure. So, or betraying each other, yeah. or, or sorting out real life <laughs> problems in game. Yeah. So, you need to, uh, but it has to be written, it has to be prepared. So, what we're going to talk about is how some, some notes, some things to keep in mind when creating your own adventure. Obviously, uh, the main advantage of creating your own material is that you can gear it specifically for your players, and every group has their own mix. Uh, you know, there are the basic gamer types, you know, the munchkin, the role player, you know, the, you know, the drama queen, all that stuff. But, um, time Tommy testosterone tits. Okay. Um, I haven't heard that term, but we'll, we'll go with it. It's a good term. I like it. Um, but each group is unique in terms of what their makeup is and how they interact. Every group dynamic is slightly different and, you know, there, there are similarities, but, only after you've run a game, only after you've figured out your own group, can you really make the perfect adventure for them. I think most groups' favorite, uh, most players' favorite moments are the homebrewed scenarios or the pre-written material that's been sort of modified by the GM. You know that that yeah. really unique touch, um, and only you can, only you, the GM, can really prepare it. So. Uh, First, think of you know who your what your players want out of the game, and give it to them basically you know with the right challenges in a way that's entertaining to you. Um, and it's challenging, you know. So you got some players that want a body count in the triple digits. Then you have some that truly want to solve some puzzle, and 
And balancing that that kind of crap out can be difficult. You know, it's difficult to balance violence obsessed players with puzzle obsessed players to role playing obsessed players. And the thing is, even with your own uh, preparations, there are going to be times. You know, players have their own moods, and sometimes the combat monster wants to do a little investigation, or sometimes they, you know, they're, uh, so you... Or sometimes the puzzle player's girlfriend left him, and he wants to kill as many people <laughs> as he can. There you go. Um, so what does this mean? You, The main virtue, the, the highest virtue of any GM is great improv skills. If you can improvise very well, very quickly, think on your feet, you will be a great game master, failing everything else. I mean... Just if, pull shit... If you're able to pull shit out of your ass at a moment's notice. Right. Because unlike a video game, unlike anything else, there are no absolute boundaries in a role-playing game. I mean, you're all basically playing, you know, let's imagine with dice and graph paper. And and a modicum of rules. Yeah. But those rules can be ignored because we always love those, you know, uh, omnipresent house rules. Ooh. Yes. So I, my hand's shaking a little bit when I think of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obvi- I mean, Palladium is written with house rules in mind because you can't run it as is. Yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, I went there. Wow, um, Ross, that that was beautiful. So what do we mean by improv? Um, the obvious scenario, the obvious example is the players. You give them the old man in the tavern has a treasure map, and he's like, "Go to this dungeon to get, get the magical amulet of Yendor, right?" Yes, or the uh, uh, gemstone of Benguffin. Ooh, very yeah. nice. Um, but the players say, "You know what? Screw that. We're going to go kill the orc and bandits who are pissing off the villagers, or we're going to go march off." You see this part of the map where it says, "Here be monsters," and it says that's the edge of the world. I don't believe that. Let's go there. Like. Or if you're really unlucky, they say, how about we buy this tavern and run it ourselves and start a business? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so all the notes you've prepared are basically useless. But this is where the improv skills. The first thing is obviously Schrodinger's principle, where basically whatever you prepare will be wherever the players go. There's no preset location for your notes. For example, in the same example, the players decide to buy the tavern. Well, guess what? It happens there's a dungeon underneath it. And it happens to be exactly identical to the dungeon that the treasure map was going to lead to, but now the dungeon is located right. underneath the tavern. Or that horde of orc bandits that you were going to throw at them decide they want to drink and come to the tavern itself. Yeah, they're going to throw a kegger at the tavern. So, uh, guess what? It doesn't matter where you go. Free will is an illusion. Um, now, you can pull that only so many times and that's kind of a a stopgap measure uh the other thing is a little more subtle where you take some elements of your notes and you remix them you reuse them for example the orcs uh become burly villagers who are already there and they decide they're going to uh revolt you know well they Mm. are revolting but they're going to rebel too yeah and um so that that gives you know the tavern owning PC something to do, um, or you could make them into the union thugs because you have to be part of a union to own a tavern. Yeah, this guild. Town. It's oh, the, guild. Of course. Yes. yes my bad. Yeah. Anachronism. I'm sorry. Yes. We don't have unions. We have guilds. Um, because the word guild just sounds cooler. Rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Yeah. Hollywood uses it. I mean, they don't have you know the screenwriters' union. It's the guild. Writers' guild of America. I'm I'm reaching, aren't I? You are. Okay. So go back to what you know. 
Anyways, um, so think of what you have in your notes and uh, re recast them basically, and only use bits and pieces of it. Um, another measure is to strip mine ideas from other material. This is why, as a GM, I always buy lots of adventures, lots of books, especially if they're cheap, and just read through them and shamelessly steal whatever looks cool. I watch a lot of movies. Yeah, there we go. Lots of TV, lots of movies. Yeah. Comic books. Yeah, true, true. So basically, just think, okay, what what works? What comes to mind? Okay, it's going to be like Cheers, but, you know, George is an ogre. Go! Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and Frazier, he's an illithid. He would. I, I think Frazier would make a good uh, illithid. Yeah. So would his brother. I'm slightly more gay, but. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, and uh, Frazier's wife would be the hive mind. Elder brain. Elder brain. Yeah. I'm sorry. can't believe you couldn't think of that. I know. I'm just. Uh, I don't know. Uh, so th- so shamelessly steal whatever you can from wherever you can because you don't have to worry about copyright. Well, shamelessly steal but alter it so they don't obviously know you've shamelessly stolen yes. it. Uh, Final Fantasy video games have taught us a great hint. You can always reuse the same graphics by shifting the colors. You know, oh, yes. Yeah. First you have goblins, then you have chaos goblins, then you have rock goblins, you have fire goblins, you have water goblins, and they're all the same graphic. They're just colored differently. And then, of course, giga goblins, terra goblins, and... Yeah, right. Um, so what you want to do is basically take – the way it works in gaming, in tabletop games, is a little different. What you do is you take the stats of something because stat, stat work, especially in D&D, it takes a while and it's annoying. Mm. And you just say it looks different. You know, if it's the same, it has a different name. It looks different. It speaks with a British accent. Exactly. It like it, instead of a troll, it's you know a reptilian shape shifting alien or something like that. It just happens to fight exactly like a troll. Um, or you know, undead. It's a lot easier to do the weird monstrous creatures. You know, one freakish monster from beyond time and space looks pretty much the same as the other. Yeah, and uh, you can pretty much with them. That's you can just make up powers as you go along. Yeah. Really. Uh, well, now the thing is, there are some pitfalls of improving, and that's one of them. Is if you go too far and you forget what you've created, or you've become inconsistent. You know, for example, if you establish the monster can teleport, and then the players trap it, and you forget that it can teleport, you're like, uh, uh, ah, crap! What do I do? What do I do? You know, or if you, this is why uh, improving a mystery. And an investigation scenario is very hard to do because you're like, uh, okay, so what does this clue mean? And this is a red herring, and it's very easy to get tripped up, and the, your players will call you on it. They're, they will be little bastards, and they'll be like, uh, what? This No, well, no. Well, c- come on. It, nothing makes a player happier besides massive success in a game than catching the GM doing something stupid or wrong. <laughs> All right, fair enough, fair enough. Um, Trust me, playing with you as a player to your GM, <laughs> the few times I've done that, I've I've gone home and just sat there and smiled to myself. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Uh, my failures make you happy. That's, uh, That's exactly it. So you need to... Take notes, perhaps. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. And don't go out too far on a limb, you know, unless the scenario calls for it. If you're doing something really over the top and inconsistency just, you know, works for the genre. If you're doing, you know, something screwball like Paranoia or Tune or something yeah. like that, um, then, yeah, that, that would be fine. But, like, cover your tracks and keep stay alert. 
I mean, with especially with your improving. Um, so the those are some of the things you should keep keep in mind when you're doing this. Okay, so you know that that's sort of the basic of improving a game, and but then again, that that sort of begs the question: What are the good elements of prepared adventure material? I mean, what should you have ready? on hand or should be able to come up with before the game actually starts. Well, I think first and foremost what you need is just memorable elements of the game. Right. That's I mean I'm talking about locations, plots, NPCs. Think they they need to they need to be they need to be memorable. Players need to think about them after the game is over and like, yeah, that was like that was weird. Like that guy was fucked up. Or, right. And by elements we mean like either NPCs, locations, uh, challenges, events, you know, or uh, items, you know, something that happens. Like, and you don't need to make, don't make everything unique and memorable because then nothing is unique or memorable. Like, emphasize a few key elements. For example, the villain and the place where the villain's hanging out. Or make the villain generic and make, like, for example, the battlefield, you know, make it like over a burning building fighting from two helicopters or something like or that. Or like or on like a high steel girder platform with with brain pouring down. Right, right, right. So you know, just emphasize a couple of different things each scenario. Something that will yeah. really stand out. Vary it up with each right. session. Yeah, mix it up. Don't don't do, do, don't don't have two massive electrical typhoon storms well don't use the same formula the same structure every time if you know every time it's going to be a memorable villain at a memorable place but everything else is generic the pcs are going to expect that one of the next things you you should do is always um spotlight each pc for each game now you know each character will hopefully have some unique abilities or something like like that you you got one character that's a good hacker then have one moment have something in the game like you need to break into a computer system or right. or disable device like they can. They and again, can, by changing it up, we don't mean they should. There should always be a computer to hack for the hacker. Hopefully, no. the hacker PC will have some other abilities, uh, you know, lock picking or stealth or what engineering or something else like that. And if or you have basket a, weaving, and of course, and if you have the guy, the the character that's the massive powerhouse, throw out some giant thugs for him to take down. Right, right. And, you know, add different complications to it each time. Maybe these thugs are being brainwashed, so the the powerhouse has to use non-lethal damage, can't kill them or something like that. Um, but try and give something for each PC. You know, you, you'll know what each car- what each player will want in a game. So give them their own opportunities. Right. And know their characters, too. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to memorize their sheets, but you know, generally get an idea of what each player, when they're developing a character, fig- thinks of what they're going to want out of that. Like it's like if you know who has a real, like a really high will save, and you're doing a scenario about mind control or something, right? Then you know they're probably going to be the, the cult leader. Yeah, they're going to be the only ones who are going to be act able to act normally, right? And and if you have this, a situation going where their characters, you know, are able to resist it but can't do anything else. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to have to change something, obviously. Right. That's a good point. Um, the main and the final thing is don't set it in stone. You know, whatever material you have, be flexible with it and let the game flow. You know, go where it will. You know, you might assume that the PCs are going to do this, this, and this, and this will be the outcome. But the PCs will go wildly off course, even if they're trying to follow you. You know, they'll just come up with this weird logic that makes no sense to you whatsoever, but they just refuse to budge from it, and pretty soon they're all, you know, uh, disguising themselves as inflatable fish, 
you know, to sneak into the fortress, yeah. and it makes sense to them. Like, or one moment, moment I had in a Mutants and Masterminds game was I had a robbery in like a in, the, in a federal bank. Yeah. That I I just planned that you know the mastermind was there. They were gonna take him out in the vault, but he got away and actually managed to hijack one of the police vehicles, which started a massive collateral damage, property damage laden car chase throughout the entire city. And they love that more than they did the bank. Right. You, yeah. I mean, so, you don't know. It's unexpected. It's authentic. And uh, the players will really dig it. So um, those are the main things to keep in mind. You know, um, give each PC something to do. You know, memorable elements, you know, whether it's NPCs, items, locations, yeah, whatever. Because as a player, I can nothing can piss off a player more than having to you know, just sit and wait for his turn to do something when yeah. everyone, there's nothing you can do at the moment. That, yeah. It'll piss him off. Yeah, you definitely, like, the the thing that's killed my interest in a lot of games is the obligatory, okay, I have to do this one scene with this one PC for three hours. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, and an advice to GMs. Don't do that. Well, if you have, like, if you have a favorite NPC, don't make him do everything and yeah. steal steal their thunder. There's a term for it, the Mary Sue, the uh, which comes from fan fiction, a little bit of history. One of the first fan fictions ever written was uh, a Star Trek fan fiction where the female author wrote herself into the story and her name was Mary Sue and she was better at everything than anyone. She was smarter than Spock, a uh, better pilot, better captain than Kirk, better and pilot than Sulu. Everybody thought she was just great and she was the very first Mary Sue. And uh, the more you know. So don't be wow. that guy or girl. That that was beautiful. Anyways, um so just keep these four guidelines in mind uh, whenever you're coming up with your own material. And again, if you have any questions or comments or suggestions on or uh, or you need help creating your own materials or you're running into your own problems, feel free to email us, contact us. We'll be glad to provide advice of dubious quality to you. Because we are the finest advice people in games in the world. Except for all those other people. Well, yeah, them. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, uh, we'll be back in a little bit with Tom and his letter. Oh, yes. catalog of games produced by Palladium have a long and loving history with me and the many gaming groups of my Crystal Pepsi drinking past. Some of the games I have played and or ran of Palladium have been pure joy, like the feeling I get when some right-wing nutjob gets caught fondling a teenage male prostitute in a men's room on national TV. Others have been so mind-numbingly bad that they cause me to vomit forth a sufficient quantity of bile that I could dissolve a good-sized truck. But I take all that in good stride because isn't that the undeniable truth of all gaming? Some games are great, some are shit, and the rest fall in between. Simple, straightforward, and pointless. However, the long cycle of love and hate I've had with Palladium has come full circle, and now it's time that we depart. I think it's worth noting that among all of the members of my old gaming groups, I am the one that stuck by Palladium the longest. In the beginning, with my first game of TMNT and other strangeness, not one of the seven-year-old Ritalin junkies in my first group thought badly of the system. Indeed, we barely understood any of it. 
But the sheer joy I had when my mutant alligator assassin Vigo held down the trigger of a 7.62mm minigun, like he was pressing down on the gaping wound of his mother trying to staunch the bleeding, would have outshone any problems in the system I might have noticed. All of the other Palladium games I played were equally fun, as long as I ignored the system problems. Years of Heroes Unlimited, Rifts, Beyond the Supernatural, Nightbane, and even Splicers followed. As I grew older and understood the system more completely, that was when the first seeds of doubt began to grow. But as long as no one else in the group noticed, the games could go on. But I forgot that I wasn't the only pasty-faced gaming nerd in the group, and they read the rules too. Pretty soon they got the same doubts that I had, only their patience for bullshit was far less than mine. Suddenly I find myself facing cries of, we want to try different systems, and Palladium sucks, and you're stupid and gay. You know, the usual. I resisted those cries for a long time. I was like an abused spouse who constantly keeps going back to the abuser. I made excuses for the system, things like, randomness makes things interesting. I would say that even after I rolled up a character with an IQ of 8, but who was also an MD. I would play a hardware weapons character in Heroes Unlimited who had to roll a 23 or lower on a percentile dice just to craft a simple armor-piercing bullet and say, it makes the times when I succeed all the sweeter. I was hopelessly out of control. Finally, after Ross introduced me to the, my first game of D&D 3rd Edition, the cycle started to break. I realized that Palladium Fantasy RPG finally sucked, and I told it to go fuck itself. It was liberating, like finally telling your dad that he smelled like a shit-encrusted beer brewery. Soon, as I played other systems, I waved goodbye to many of the other Palladium games I had stuck with over the decades. The very last holdout was Heroes Unlimited. I love superhero games, and Heroes Unlimited was a good and loyal friend for a long time. And then came Mutants and Masterminds, and the last vestige of desire to continue with a Palladium system game disappeared faster than a pack of cigarettes at an AA meeting. It has taken me a long time for me to come to terms with the fact that Palladium hasn't changed much of anything in the system for years. It is an anachronism to me now, a memory that solely resides in my gaming past. I will hold on to the books as keepsakes to the days of yore, and I will occasionally crack one open and skip down memory lane with a song on my lips and a warm feeling in my heart. And owing to the more serious tone of this letter, I will end things with this. After beating everyone in the New York Philharmonic Orchestra Hall to death with a giant steel dildo wrapped in razor wire, Hello Kitty hired a lawyer with a shit-stained piece of toilet paper framed and hanging next to his law school diploma. was uh interesting uh ending for that uh rant well, there, Tom. I, f- I felt it was a little more serious than my normal letter so i i, fi- I figured i had to set the stats i had to punch back. it up didn't you tom well it worked didn't it i uh sure we'll, we'll, we'll just go with that hey i'm not trying to please you <laughs> i'm trying to please everyone else out there uh okay well uh, uh let us know see if that worked um, and i'm pretty sure at least someone on deviantart is going to do a picture of that sometime wow i know yeah I'll, Okay. All right. Um, fair enough. Next up, of course, we have our shout-outs, our things that we think that don't suck, or and don't suck at all, or are actually good. That, yeah. 
That the the list is small, but they're out there. Yeah, there are, there no. are things we like. Oh well, yeah. Anyways, uh, first up is a web comic that I enjoy, as I am wont to do with good web comics. It's called Yet Another Fantasy Gamer Comic. Um, it's a D and D based uh, comic. But told from the perspective of the evil creatures, for the most part. It's kind of soap opera-ish, but it's uh, very humorous. The art's excellent. Um, and it follows Bob the Beholder and uh, his goblin girlfriend, Grin, and a bunch of other monsters. And uh, it's a very long, convoluted plot, but it's entertaining. It's updates daily, and uh, it's well worth reading. Um, Mazel tov, man. Yeah, it's good. It's a good read. Uh, and it has an RSS feed, which some webcomics still don't have. And I'm looking at you, Dr. McNinja. You and your lack of an RSS feed. You don't, right. you don't even know what any of that I just said is, dude. I'm just feeling the rage, man. I'm feeling the rage. It doesn't have an RSS feed. How could you not have an RSS feed? That fucking cocksucker. You don't even read Dr. McNinja, do you? No, Russ, I don't, but... I feel that listening to you talk about it, I am getting the full experience through your emotions. I see. Okay. Uh, um, Tom, you had one first. Yeah, I got one for actually a board game. Yeah. It's a Betrayal at House on the Hill. Right. Kind of. It's kind of a you know haunted, tile ba- a tile based haunted house game where you draw draw the rooms of this haunted house out of a pile, and there's. I believe like 25 different scenarios that you could do that you, and you never know which one you're going to get but and I know what you're thinking you're saying another tile based haunted house board game I mean come on there have been you know so many like you know how many movies has Hollywood done of dragons versus fighting helicopters two, I know uh, too many right well, two that I can think of no there have been t- Tom this is not the time I'm sorry <laughs> but no uh Actually, uh, my friend David bought it, and last Friday we actually we played six games of it, and yeah. each one was we enjoyed the hell out of each one because each one was completely different. Yeah, so it's a good board game. It's very fun. Um, next up, I have Rift Tracks. Rift Tracks. Oh yeah, something I can't believe I haven't mentioned before. Now it's a if you know Mike Nelson, uh, Mystery Science Theater three thousand head writer, also host. Uh, he's come up with this service where you download, you pay for an MP three. And it's an audio commentary of a popular movie, such as uh, recently they did The Matrix Reloaded. Um, the all-time best is Roadhouse. Oh, man. And, yeah. And you sync it up to the movie, and it's they're making fun. Uh, Mike and usually his co-hosts, like uh, Kevin Murphy, uh, Bill Corbett, uh, sometimes others. Uh, they've had quite weird out. Low tax from uh, something awful. Something awful. Um they will do a commentary about it and they'll just it's like mystery science theater just riffing away on these movies and it's hilarious i really think matrix reloaded is one of the best ones they've ever done i mean they they're just you know it's like the first two minutes of trinity you know jumping out the window it's like more falling down than falling down (laughs) more shattered glass than shattered glass (laughs) and it's like you know then the hundred smiths a uh, hundred Smith fight where Neo's fighting a hundred Agent Smiths. It's like God; these Mormon missionaries are just relentless. <laughs> and the, I mean, and it, they just go on and on for two over two hours, and uh, they really hate Daddy Day Camp for some reason. But well, anyway, go figure that. Um, the MP3s themselves are like only a couple bucks each. 
There's a lot of really good ones. Um, yeah, I, I've heard several. They're worth it. Yeah, uh, not all of them are perfect. I would avoid like The Grudge. You know, sometimes I can't save a movie, but uh, Roadhouse, uh, The Wicker Man, uh, Matrix Reloaded, obviously. Uh, House on Haunted Hill. House on Haunted Hill. Uh, Over the Top. Oh, Over Top is a good one. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of really good ones. Um, and just listen to them and uh, enjoy. And... Uh, so that's my next second, you know, shout out. So, uh, Tom, you had one more. Yes, I do. I have one to the Escapist. All right. Or zero punctuation, as he's known on the site. Yeah. And uh, he's a he's ba- he's a guy that does game re- video game reviews. Right. But um, there's some of the there are the some of the funniest and most cl- most clever game reviews I've ever seen. He does it. He does it. He does an audio recording that he does to small animations. Right. And uh, there. Every last one of the reviews are just as hilarious as hell. At the same time, also reviewing the game itself pretty well. Yeah, um, he's an Australia. He's a British guy living in Australia, and um, he talks very, very fast. And uh, he not, likes not to so, curse. Not so fast that you can't understand him, though. It's still very fast. Yes, much faster than us slovenly Americans. Oh God, we suck. <laughs> but um, and uh, of course, the animations he does with each of his reviews are really great. Yeah, yeah, he's got it's. Um, anyways, it's great stuff. Uh, Especially the Guitar Hero Three one. That's I love. That's currently my favorite one. Right. Uh, so so we'll, yeah, we'll put a link out. We'll watch all yeah, of them. It's, it's like, great. Yeah. They get about a thousand times more traffic than our site, but that's okay. Or I think we're hoping maybe we can we can steal some of their mojo if we mention them. Yes, uh, uh, I'm sure he'll just put out a link to us because he'll because he's awesome because he really needs the 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 vaunted you know RPPR bump you know. Oh man, well, who doesn't? Yeah. <laughs> All right. We, uh, we should we should get the Republicans in, interested in us. Yeah, exactly. We can. Uh, we we we're like the Colbert Report. We alone can determine the fate of the nation with our vaunted you know. So fear our prestige. powers. Yes. Anyways, next up we have our gaming anecdotes, which come from MySpace. Uh, a couple of readers have sent in their little uh, messages. And it's time for you to be famous. All right, our first one is from Arthian, one of our MySpace fans. Um, it begins, This is the story of what became known by the participants as the Chaos Campaign. Okay, first little backstory before the main event. It is a D&D 3.5 campaign. Starts in the Time of Troubles. Uh, I assume it's Forgotten Realms. Um, so magic is running rampant and messing with all sorts of people. Party members are psionicist, anti-paladin, ranger, wizard, sorcerer, rogue, and a druid. Party alignment was generally chaotic, neutral, or lawful evil, or some other form of evil. That's a warning sign right there. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, you, you could just pretty much guarantee that something bad is going to happen with that. Uh, it all starts out with everyone in the party being randomly pulled from their various homes or locations by the wild magic being placed near a forest at a shabby inn. They proceeded to run into a gold dragon that tells them what happened. Not the most original, but it is just how I decided to do it at the time. And advises them against harming the nearby forest. They get information at the inn and proceed to the nearby town. Any of the encounters I threw at them on the way, they handled with ease, blasting things with arrows or magic before it could get close. All right. Enter the town, the start of the fun for me. Uh, around the town, there is a magical circle. Walking through this border around the town causes you to appear randomly in a building and undergo a temporary sex change. 
<laughs> temporary sex chains. All right. Uh, I say temporary because it only lasts while you're in the town. So the fun comes in while they are trying to gather information. They are asking each other for info because they don't recognize each other. After many laughs and awkward situations, including the proverbial bad player trying to be a smartass and almost pissing himself in the game, they leave town, info in hand, and travel into the forest. They decide to take some of the wine from out of the town. It has the effect of multiplying everything potion-based, healing potions, poisons, anecdotes, uh, alchemist fire, etc., etc., every hour. It starts out at, you know, times two and works its all the way up to times 24 over the course of a few days. The ruins and tower they had to travel to was well-supplied with uh, ancient magical items and puzzles. A simple entrance to get into the ruins was a platform that traveled away from you as you walked toward it. The idea of warp magic meant that you had to walk backwards up to it for the platform to come to you and take you across the moat. During this time, I'd like to remind you that the potions are still multiplying. As they continue the dungeon crawl, they are leaving larger and larger piles of alchemist fires laying around openly in a dungeon. The piles <laughs> range in size from 120 to well over 400. Anti-Paladin of the group manages to pray for favor and summons an air elemental, which they use as a whirlwind attack to attack a room full of orcs and goblins into mushy goo with blood running from the underside of the door. All the party members are ankle to knee-deep in blood. Since we had a psionicist in the group, and we eventually came across a psionic monster, which gets its ass kicked until it unleashes a massive concussion ability. At this point, many massive piles of alchemist fire explode, causing serious damage to the area. Because they are in a reinforced vault of sorts, they managed to survive and only took minor injuries. Of course, they still have to go up to the tower, which is now very unstable. Fast forward a bit. They managed to escape the tower, item in hand, and managed to pick up a cursed deck of many things. It's not just a cursed deck of many things. It, or it's not just a deck. It's a cursed deck. That's, uh, wow. Deck had a few the warp... The yeah. double duper. Yeah. Had a few warped abilities. First, the cards didn't disappear when used. They went back into the deck. Next, I added a few. Now, when I say a few, I used an entire tarot deck of cards and filled in the gaps. <laughs> One thing a person ended up getting was you wake up surrounded by 100,000 copper pieces. Not overly helpful. And I'm sure the innkeep would be highly upset with uh, the sheer weight, which would destroy this part of his inn. Um, well, yeah, but compared to the other crap, that's mm, not yeah. bad. Uh, anyways, we picked up a warrior lost in the forest. At this point, the anti-paladin is high enough to get her mount, which she wanted a nightmare. You know, I figured it was fitting, but I made her roll for it using the favor chart in the Book of Vile Darkness. She did extremely well, sacrificing the NPC druid in the process. <laughs> Let's just say the NPC druid really failed his rolls and was abducted with ease. They finally escaped the forest, which I modeled somewhat after Fangor Fanghorn Forest from Lord of the Rings. Again, stealing Steal. stuff. Yep. Take it, just take it. Full of dreams and such. They managed to escape, mainly because the forest ushered them out and managed to split the deck of many things. The rogue of the group decides to take the deck and play cards with it. <laughs> That's a new one. I, have to, I, uh, I like that. Uh, causing mayhem within the group, which we all loved immensely. And all sorts of messed up things happen. The warrior, thinking with his balls and not his brains, decides to destroy both of them by putting one on top of the other and smashing them with an axe. This resulting explosion hurls an explosive wall of energy out, fusing the deck back together but not destroying it. Okay, uh, getting kind of Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> um, the energy wave from the explosion sucks everyone into a void-like area which was taking them to the Forgotten Realms. Okay, I guess 
uh, they're just some other place with the time of troubles and wild magic. Right. So, anyways, they're forgotten realms. In the process of this, we have a new party member, the Arcane Archer. This is the reason why I always stress pay attention to party alignment. We had ended the game the week before with everyone just having entered the void. The Arcane Archer, not having paid attention to the party alignment, made a neutral good character. Um, the Archer, seeing a nightmare, decides to draw a bow and an arrow on it. The Anti-Paladin, seeing its mount in danger, confronts and attacks the Arcane Archer. Now The Paladin gets initiative and uses the smite good on the Archer. Archer now having a Paladin in front of it, uh, let's go the arrow in response. The result is as follows. Archer takes over 40 damage. It's going to be bleeding profusely and fall unconscious. The Archer manages to roll a 20, followed by a 20, followed by a 19, resulting in a critical kill of the Paladin. Within five minutes of the start of the game, we had two characters dead. At this point, we put the game on hold for a bit so they could make new characters and the rest of us could recover from the shock of what happened. Wow. Just... Wow! Yeah, that that honestly, that sounds like a, no no pun intended a nightmare of a game for yeah, many, many. Yeah, that I don't want to be. Yeah, that that I would have probably smacked you for some of those things. But uh, oh no, come on! I prefer playing good characters. You know that. <laughs> yeah, with your organs organ harvesting schemes and uh, when there's alignment, that t- <laughs> that game there was no alignment. So you're good when there's basically two teams and you want to play on team good, but when it's actually an issue of morality and nuance and well, doing the hey, right thing without being uh, getting benefits from they it. Were <laughs> they were terrorists. They were terrorists. Terrorists. All right. Uh, entertaining story. Uh, it sounds like all the players were on the same page, though. So, I mean, if you want a screwball yeah. game like that, I mean, well, yeah, I, I honestly, that, that could They're going to be talking about that game for a while. Yeah. Um, it's just... It's a minefield of problems. I mean, it, it just if one of those players got pissed off or did the wrong thing, I mean, that campaign would literally explode. But uh, well, much like the ruins did. Yeah, or the deck of many things. Yeah. Hey, but you you actually mentioned Dragon Ball Z, and I none of neither one of us screamed the power level is over nine thousand. <laughs> well, you just brought it up. Thanks. Well, I think that just shows how mature we have become over the years. Oh, I get it. I get it. Um, yes. Anyways, we got one last one. Uh, this is from do 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 I can't read his full name Dr. so and so uh Dr. Scraps and Dr. Scraps writes um the rise and fall of Cleat Cleat in my group I've run the Star Wars D20 game for a good while having enjoyed a campaign that lasted a good year and a half a sequel to said campaign that died after its third month and I am now enjoying finally being able to utilize the Saga edition imperfect as it is this anecdote comes from somewhere in the halfway point of the first campaign, Twilight of the Old Republic, a title I still love to this day. It involves uh, Cleot, oh, Cleoak, Oak, okay, uh, Zabrak Force Adept, the group affectionately referred to as the Horny One. Um, what is a Zabrak? Do you know what those are? Yeah, it's Darth Maul's race. Oh, okay, okay, hence the, the Horny One, all right. Uh, Cleot, uh, had different, Cleot, uh, had different motivations for his character than the rest of the group. While they were running around the galaxy trying to thwart the plans of a resurrected Sith Lord who was trying to kickstart an apocalyptic event that would see the galaxy turn into a Lovecraftian cosmic horror of itself, Cleot decided he wanted to be a big game hunter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know what, this is again, players want to just 
ignore your plot. They want to do their own thing. So Clea goes along with his girlfriend's character to Tatooine where they decide to track uh, a crate dragon. Uh, he was a level 5 force adept who did little more than use the force to read people's minds and abuse the far seen ability, usually with failing results. And crate dragons, according to the game rules, easily ate PCs like him for breakfast. Okay. So the two ride their swoop bike into the dragon's lair, to which the crate dragon, of course, started chasing them in the other direction. While it's chasing them across the sands, it lets out a mighty roar, which is Kliat's cue to throw a backpack containing five thermal detonators, <laughs> rolling a 20 on the throw into the dragon's mouth. The resulting explosion saw the crate dragon's head explode, and Kliat became a very rich man selling the bones and carcass and uh, most Espa. Although, if I was running that, I would say the thermal detonator would have ruined that. Well, as I understand, the thermal detonator is a far more feared weapon than just a simple grenade. Right. I would, I mean... If you, I mean, I remember Re- Return of the Jedi when he, when uh, the bounty hunter who was Leia th- threatens one, it's like suddenly, it's like she's holding a mini th- tack nuke. Yeah. So, so I would have said, I would have said, and if there were th- more than one, it vaporized the entire thing. Right. That's what I would have done. Plus, whatever the shockwave would have destroyed their bike. But whatever. Uh, it goes on. What follows is a classic quote in our group, which never fails to bring a twitch to my eye. I have the teeth. Can I make a whip out of them? (laughs) That was another quirk about the uh, uh, Cleat. He was always wanting to craft weaponry far outside the scale of anything that could be found in the books that the group possessed, uh, leading to long arguments that gave me many a gray hair, be it a crate dragon tooth whip or spiky body armor from said bones that could generate lightning. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, In the sessions that would come to pass, Cleat would always find time to finding bigger and badder aliens to slay, usually with disastrous results. And even at one point being swallowed whole by a Kashyyyk shadow beast, I gladly obliged his death wish time and time again, hopefully hoping to subtly drop the hint that it would take more than a bag of grenades and a cocky attitude to be a hunter. <laughs> he always seemed to avoid death itself by a narrow margin. Cleet's downfall, however, turned out to be his greed. He had stolen a crystal from the cavernous, cavernous caves of the Bahamut-esque dragon god of the dark side and at the campaign's end was forced to serve the dragon god for eternity as its steward for his transgression all right good thing i guess about this little tale i've been ranting is that cleat was always a good sport especially when it came to me having to tell him no when he got eaten he merely groaned in frustration and worked his way out and laughed when he learned his ultimate face fate of becoming the dark side dragon god's little bitch boy and his antics never fail to lead to interesting moments of the monkeys at the table uh our gaming anecdotes for this episode uh, um, fairly entertaining uh, uh yeah throwing in bahamut the dragon god is an dark side god yeah in star wars that's interesting well he said bahamut-esque so technically okay well bahamut-esque I... although bahamut was a good dragon the, is a good dragon the god of all good dragons yeah so i guess you know maybe he was corrupted by the dark side you know pulled the whole darth well every darth bahamut darth vader kind of thing you know yeah he yeah okay so he's he's got a bunch of like robot parts but it, and, i mean it sounds like the players are all mature enough to accept it in all in good fun and i mean to be fair star wars is just sort of ripe for that kind of yeah misuse. but of course in the whole point of gaming is to have fun, so yeah. if you had fun with it... Yeah, exactly. There's no wrong way to have fun. Your type of fun is wrong. No. Ooh, that's... And besides, I remember the last time we played Star Wars, I was a Jedi who used my Force abilities to uh, give uh, bad guys uh, hallucinatory uh, urinary tract infections. 
and uh, we plotted to build the, build a starship built entirely out of blaster rifles. Because those bad guys always have blaster rifles, so we could always... And yes, I know we've mentioned this, but damn it, it's still funny. Blaster rifles. Even, I think we said even today, we can just be sitting in <laughs> silence, and one of us can just say, blaster rifle. All right. All right, so uh, that's been episode 10, filling in the flavor text. This is Ross Payton. And I'm Tom Church. And we'll see you next time. Laters.